Hello, and welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg, and today's guest is the one and only Perry Chase. Perry is in service to the universal frequency of feminine truth. She is also polarizing, opinionated, fierce. Uh, She does not bite her tongue. She has some strong things to say, and I think this conversation is juicy as fuck. This is a good one. We go all over the place in this one. It's very conversational. If you've ever listened to Joe Rogan's podcast, I feel like it has a little bit of that dynamic. There's a back and forth. She asks me a bunch of questions. It is playful at times. There is a bit of... um, discussion a bit of disagreement occasionally and um, basically dive into energetics masculine feminine talk about cultural issues talk about the collective state of the world talk about trauma talk about healing you know all the light and fluffy (laughs) all the light and fluffy stuff that you've come to know and love from this podcast i'm sure I really enjoyed this conversation conversation with Perry. I think it's the longest episode that I've done. And there's no lull in it. We spend the first like 10 or 15 minutes kind of having a little bit of a banter, dropping in. And then after that, I feel like it's 80 minutes solid of back and forth diving into some complex, hearty topics in a meaningful way. And I really appreciate the way that Perry um, communicates her ideas and I admire the strength that she has in her own knowing, I suppose is a way to say it. You'll hear us at one point spend several minutes talking about different words used to describe our private parts. (laughs) That's a fun one. Um, I've never done that on this podcast, but uh, for those that know Perry, for those that follow her already or have worked with her or do work with her, you're getting what I have come to believe is like the full Perry Chase voice. I'm not sure that Perry actually has a non-Perry Perry Chase voice, so lots of truth, lots of honesty, lots of fun, lots of vulnerability, and... Um, And I suppose all of this is wrapped up with a giant bow inviting you, dear listener, to consider with compassionate awareness who you really are and what is really happening to you and for you and in you on any given moment, on any given day. That seems to be the crux of what we discussed. And I encourage you, I invite you to download this wisdom from Perry Chase right into your earbones. Enjoy. Bucket, bucket, bucket. 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 What's just rock and roll? Um, sorry, please continue. You were just saying that you're a demonic bitch. I just <laughs> meant like, <laughs> uh, you know, we were just, just for everyone who's just tuning in. Um, I was telling Jeremy that he needed to get his own app for his community. And he's like, well, I don't have a community. I'm like, yeah, you do. I'm like, you have lots of people that follow you. 
And the reason that I moved to uh, Mighty Networks Pro app, and you know, you can do the regular Mighty Networks. And then I got like the custom branded app. And the reason was, and I was joking, I'm not really a demonic bitch. I just, um, I get censored a lot. And so, and, and, you know, a lot of women in my space, you know, even before the age of misinformation, you know, we're getting censored all the time for those photos. And, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I posted a photo, a gorgeous photo of me and my kid, like where I'm holding her in my arms and, and she's, she's not wearing clothes, but you can't really tell that because of the way that I'm holding her. And I'm her mom. Like I wouldn't put a picture of my like inappropriately naked child on the internet. Like I, I don't even understand how that could possibly be interpreted from my photos. But they, they initially like flagged it, took it down and it was gorgeous. Like it's just a beautiful post about like a mom and a baby. And, and that happens to women I know a lot, right? So like, you know, I follow these amazing birth accounts, like, you know, birthing, and I have to literally click like, yes, I want to see this video. Yes, I want to see this photo. Like, can I just turn that off? I'm not easily offended. I don't need, I don't need to be protected from reality. I'm an adult. So anyway, Jeremy, you should totally have your own app and you should have your own community. Yeah. And see, you know, I was motivated because I, uh, you know, I, I, I've been censored and I couldn't, I had, I had my whole business on Facebook groups. And I remember I mean, the first time that I was banned for 24 hours, I was like, you know what? I was like, I can't run a business in a place that I don't have control over whether I'm deplatformed or not. Yeah. I was going to say strategically, it's simply about risk management, right? Or, oh, yeah, or the totally. reclamation of power and agency. It's like, I don't want to be at, at risk of some outside source completely undercutting my business model. I mean, and, and, you know, I feel like that's sort of just the reality that we're living in now. I mean, it's something that I think about constantly. And, you know, <laughs> oh, this was not little, what you were planning on talking about today. You got a little twinkle today. in your eye. There was I a did. twinkle in your eye, and I've seen that I was, in... I was about to talk about woke fascism and (laughs) and you're like, Perry, this is the love bomb show. We can't say things like that. Um, But but really cancel culture, you know, I have a real big problem with cancel culture. It's like just this erosion of free speech right now is just insane. Yeah, I'm with you. Is there more to say on that? Or would you like to properly start the podcast? Whatever you want to do. I would like to tell you a very short story. Tell me. Approximately nine minutes ago, I was in my kitchen and my partner, Kendra Dachi, is on her way to an exercise program. And I said to her, and she knows you well and she knows your work. And I said to her, hey, uh, I'm interviewing Perry. Is there anything I should ask her? And she said to me, that's the wrong question. (laughs) Perry will tell you that's the wrong question. You need to follow your truth. Mm. And I was like, well, okay. I was just like, make conversation. But maybe we could dive in there with what she meant by that. What do you think sure. that means? Well, and she's in my sacred fire program, which is my like teachers, teachers, teaching teachers program. 
And actually, what's interesting is it's, it's actually an uncertification program. So that's actually a good um, explanation of like why she would say that, because like he, I'll always say like all of my teachings are not like it's not it's not externally oriented. Right. So like meaning asking her what she thinks you should ask, like, is you going outside of your intuition of what you should ask me? Like as opposed uh, to us being in the moment, in the as opposed to us being in the, the truth of what is. Right. And trusting my own internal guidance system. Yeah. And 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 being together at the moment, the present. Yeah. How do you separate that or differentiate that from simply gathering ideas? Like if she said something like, Oh, you gotta ask Perry about her toes. And I checked in and was like, nah, I don't want to ask Perry about her toes. Do you know what I mean? Well, like, you know, I think this is, I think it's a great example of like, just the difference between like, uh, like a feminine led system versus a masculine led system, not necessarily gender oriented. Right. But like, you know, in a, in a masculine energetic, uh, and just, I should probably explain that to people for a quick second in the way that I teach it anyway, you know, like the masculine is like the linear, the structured, um, the external, uh, the, the production, right. The doing and the feminine is like the chaos and the mystery and the unknown and the being and, you know, the unstructured, right. And like, if you just kind of like take those energetics. And so like, I live more from the feminine energetic, which by the way, I had to reprioritize. I was not, you know, we are not conditioned this way. I had to like relearn the nature of it for myself. Uh, as my true nature. Um, but the external, like, you know, the way we're conditioned is, is like, Hey, I'm going to have this podcast with this person and I better plan and be prepared. Right. I better, I better do my research. I better have some ideas ready. Is that an opening? Mm -hmm. It's funny because I'm on the record many times on this podcast espousing the virtue of minimal preparation mm. because I like the free flowing nature of it. And selfishly, it's much more exciting for me as the host to get to know somebody live and in person rather than spending four hours watching all of your videos, reading your book, knowing all your content, and then like talking about it. You know, I think there's an art to that. Yeah, right? I think this, like, this is why this is why Joe Rogan is so popular. Yeah. Right. Like, this is why Joe Rogan has 100 million followers. I like that model, though, because and I've said to, to guests before they jump on and start recording, like, I just want this to be like an ongoing conversation where the listener feels like a fly on the wall and they don't really know what's going to happen because I don't know what's going to happen. Right. And like, I didn't know way, we were going to talk about this. No, I didn't either. And, and people are hungry for that. Just real. Yes. People are really hungry for that. We live in a, a time that is like where we're, my experience is that people are just desperately hungry for this authenticity. Can I share with you what I, what my notes are? <laughs> yes, of course. And then maybe there's a word that jumps out. I've written, <laughs> here, here's what I've written down. Well, let, I, let me ask you a question. Wait, before you okay. go back to your notes, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just like yeah, hijack the conversation. <laughs> No, no, because like I really want to know what the thing was that was opening. Like what was there 
before the part of you that was like, let me look at my notes. Just now? Yeah. Like, what was, like, was there a blank space? Was there like, I don't know where this conversation is going to go. We need a little outside help. We need some. No, it's pretty blank, (laughs) to be fair. Okay. I like the wild mystery ride, so to speak. Okay. And I enjoy the. uh... So you like the feminine. I do. Yeah. I, I've said like when I teach at workshops and things that uh, like I'm really good at profanity, I'm good at tangents, and I'm really good at awkward silence. And so if I ask a question or if I ask for a volunteer, you know, it just goes quiet. I'll be like, I just smile big. And I say, I will out awkward silence all of you. Like this is, <laughs> this is lighting me up. And so as a consequence of that, I've had many times on this podcast where I'm like, oh shit, my brain stopped working. I don't know what to say. Or like, I completely forgot my question or whatever. You were just real. I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. (laughs) Like I enjoy meeting people. I'm now at the point where I'm like saying yes in a more grounded way to who I want to have on the podcast. So like, Mm, if you're here, I want to talk to you. I value my time a lot more than I used to, I think. Well, let me ask you, you first met me, like you, you first experienced me on Traver's podcast or how did you first see me? Through, through Kendra, I think. Oh, like I'd Kendra. never heard of you. And then she's like, I'm really loving this woman, Perry Chase. And I was like, okay. And I sort of like check you out, you know, because in this space, you kind of, it's good, good to know what's happening and who people are and you know mm. what's going on. Um, and then, yeah, I think I attended a live that you did with Traver. Oh, that with Traver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, I like this chick. She's got some fire. Yeah. Fire and like, like it's, you're like an intriguing volcano of sorts. It's yeah, like, that's, there's, a good, that's a good description. There's, um, I feel like you're somewhere that has substance below the surface. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like you know your shit. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I actually had a question for you because I was looking at, you know, I did my own little research. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I like to, you know, just at least familiarize myself respectfully of like, you know, <laughs> Who is I'm, I'm still like, what is his PhD in? I did have that question. What is your PhD in? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. It's just like doctor of. No, like I know. <laughs> what is it? What did you do your thesis on? I really want to know. Bought like it. a PhD is a big deal. It's like it is, yeah. you spend all of this time getting this PhD. I really want to know what it is. It's so funny. Yeah. I've had um, clients who are. Am I allowed to ask that? Did yeah, I just can... like blow up your spot? No, not at all. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Uh, I- I've had clients who are psychologists or therapists. And like on the third call of working together, they'll say something like, well, you know, us therapists. And I'll be like, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a PhD. I'm not just, a therapist. Just so we're clear. I'm not a therapist. Like, well, PhD in psychology. I'm like, no, no, no. Okay, um, so my background is in uh, coral reef conservation. No way. That's yeah. fantastic. You know, I'm a scuba diver. Oh yeah. I'm a dive instructor. Yeah. yeah me too. Not an instructor. Oh, I'm a dive master. Oh yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So my, that's my background, natural resource management. And then my PhD was in social science, which is like understanding why people do the things they do. So I did this hybridized, bastardized thesis involving psychology, communication, messaging, media, 
fascinating. Climate change, yeah. So that's my jam. That's awesome. That's Thanks, really cool. cool conservation. I love that. Yeah, so, so I worked on the Great Barrier Reef for a while, lived in the South Pacific. And so cool. Thailand. And... I, lived in, I lived in Thailand, too. Yeah? I, yeah, I lived in, well, I was, I was in Hong Kong 2006 to 2010. I knew that you lived out there because we, I met somebody that knows you from back in the day. Oh man. <laughs> really? Yeah. That from, was in from the, Asia? From, um, the Ohm school. Yeah. 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 One taste. One taste. Is that but in that's, Asia? No, that's at, no, that's after. Oh, uh, right. That's like 12, 2012. I was out there for, I was out in Asia from 2006 to 2010. I was in Hong Kong at the time I was a headhunter on wall street. And I, yeah. I was out there running my company's Hong Kong office. Maybe you could just give like a, for those listening, they're like, I still don't know who Perry Chase is. Oh, rambling. <laughs> I have many people. Um, okay. Well, I, I will just say, I mean, mostly what I like for, for people who, who are, you know, like, what do I do now? Um, I mostly, I teach energetic mastery. So, and I, and I teach the map of the feminine and I teach sort of a reorientation of energetics like we live in a kind of energetically imbalanced world the relationship between the masculine and the feminine energies again not men and women right so like a lot of people confuse me with like a radical feminist and I'm like I am not a radical feminist I am a radical femininist yeah if that makes sense I can explain that um but uh, you know to me like the like the exalted form of feminine energy, as well as like approval of our humanity, you know, like our humanity, like all the things that are demonized in the world are of what we would call like the feminine energetic. And uh, there's a, there's a way where like we as people in our culture do not appreciate our humanity. Right. And so like I teach people how to work with energy and to be responsible for and hold and grow their capacity to have that energy and like really move through life as a creator and without bypassing all the messy, ugly, nasty stuff of being human. Yeah. Like our flawed existence is like what is gorgeous, right? You know, like, you see people like kind of with this humility of like, I am deeply flawed. I heard that on some one of your, your introductions of one of your guests. And I was like, oh Lord. <laughs> and I just was like, I gotta. <laughs> and, um, and it's like, it was sort of in this like faux humble way. And it's like, no, I am, I am not really, it's not about being flawed. It's like, no, I'm, I'm just human. Like, even calling it flawed is the demonization, right? Because flawed in compared to comparison to what? An ideal, right? And that's a masculine ideal. It's an external ideal. It's this idea that I am not fully whole and complete right here, right now as I am, like that I am not perfect exactly as I am, that you are not perfect exactly as you are that it is not perfect. And right. And that is a very hard thing for people because they're like, no, this fucking sucks. This is not okay. This is wrong. And it's like in comparison to what this is, this is where we have fucked ourselves. 
because everything is about no one has any approval for anything because they're always going so quickly. And it's like, how do I make this better? And how do we get there? And how do we get more profits? And how do we have more, 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 better, better, more, more, more. And then, then there's lots of people that come in and then they're like, they think that they're the saviors and they are just like, yes, we should carry everyone forward. And, you know, and, and really what it, to me, when I hear people like that, when I hear things like that, I'm just like, that is a fundamental disrespect to the incredible brilliance and sovereignty of everyone's perfect journey and soul. It is an absolute looking at someone and saying, God, they are just powerless. As opposed to say like, wow, that is the particular experience their soul is having and it's brilliant. And it's none of my business because I am just a small, irrelevant ego here in the world. And it is definitely not that I know better what is better for someone else's soul than their soul does. Do you hear me? Like, this is the conversation that people can't have because they're just so fucking mind-breaking. So the idea (laughs) that we're flawed is itself the flaw. Well, it, totally, because like, think about it. It's, so, so even the word, like this is a problem with language, right? And the the mm. words of, of English language. So my experience is that English is a very masculine language. And if you really start feeling into, I like to feel into the energetics of words, right? And the things that tend to describe the masculine they tend to be words that have uh, the energetics of approval built into them. And then anything that describes the feminine, any feminine qualities tends to have like disapproval built into the word. Right? What, what's an example? So, oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, I'm a word dork. I'm like, like disapproval yeah, 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 built yeah. into the Word. Yeah, like so, um, or or even when you have masculine words, or like you know that that are used to describe like <laughs> first word that came to mind was vagina, like who named that, right? Like who named the pussy a vagina, right? Like you know, like well, like I like pussy, like pussy is like my lineage, and we all call it pussy because there, there's some first of all if you when you say pussy. Some people think it's a very sexualized word, but it doesn't have to be. You're like, he's smiling right now. So, so oh, like, this is the content that we're here for. Right. Like, but like, but think, think about when you say vagina. It's harsh. There's hard consonant sounds. It's rough. It doesn't flow out of the mouth. Versus the, even the, the written word of like pussy has the double S. It's flowing yeah. and curvy. And there's a big U that's yeah. curvy. It's curvy. It's delicious. It's like really nice to say. It's got that p- pussy. Yeah. Right. Like it energetically, you know, like I hate the word yoni. Like to me, yoni like bypasses something energetically about the pussy. Like someone <laughs> recently was like, I want to do something about pussy. Um, and, and, you know, it was very kind of light and airy. And I said, you mean like, and it, it, it's got, you know, darkness and dragons and teeth inside the cave. Like, you know, like, 
<laughs> like the, the feminine uh, is much, you know, because like I, they do teach that actually in Tantra, right? Like that the, the yoni eats the lingam, like like devours the lingam, right? Not that the yoni is fucked by the lingam, right? It's that it's the it shifts the energetic entirely. But, you know, there's this there's this there's this idea that the pussy is some passive thing. Right. And it and and the it's not it's not necessarily like the, the feminine is not only passive. Can you say more about that, please? So the I mean the, the, the feminine is magnetic. Right? It's like a it, it's it's like a it's like a suction cup. Right? It's gonna devour and it's gonna like pull in with desire. It's gonna like a vortex and it and it's like the chaos just whoosh, draws it in right Where, whereas the masculine is penetrative directionally moving outward mm. together they play very nicely can play very nicely depending on when in alignment <laughs> yeah depending on how it goes when the masculine is not extracting from the feminine i was just thinking do you have a a preferred term for the male genitals? Cock. Yeah. Penis yeah. doesn't really do it for me. I was just thinking that. I thought of like dick or cock. It's like very masculine words, cock. right? So a little bit harsh versus penis. Is that flowing? Penis. It's a wiener. Bring me in your wiener, honey. Let me suck on your big wiener. Yeah. <laughs> cock. Yeah. I love that we're having this conversation because like we you never would have had this conversation if I had not brought that in. But no, a hundred percent. Imagine like in the preparation for my conversation today, I was like, oh, it would be really cool to uh dissect the sounds of different words for our genitals and like put that as a bullet point on a list. Like it would never happen. But that's what I think to go back to the start is the beauty of having these kind of flowing chats. Like get some magical tangents and weirdness. And it's like, yeah. this is the real stuff. Well, and if you notice, like then the conversation just evolves naturally, right? We may not even finish a point, but it's like, it's not about finishing the point. It's like, just about like, just following the river. And the that, flow. That goes back to your point about the, the masculine desire for more and more and more and more and more, better, better, better. Well, there, and directional, right? Like think about Wall Street, right? Think about, Think about, I was watching the book. Have you seen the new Boeing documentary? No. Oh, we saw a trailer for it yesterday. The down, it's called Downfall. They, they like and, hid the upgrade or something. Well, so I'll just give a brief synopsis, but it's about the 737 Max and the one that, you know, fell out of the sky twice. Like, you know, that they, they had those really weird accidents, one in Indonesia, one in Egypt. And it goes, it goes about a lot of things, but one of the things that it talks about is sort of like the, the change in culture, right? And the original Boeing culture was actually quite feminine, okay? It was very, uh, first of all, the, the safety was, you know, like quality and safety and community and, you know, like all of this collective um, cooperation in order to make a great product, was the culture of the company. It was engineering led. But, you know, in, when I say feminine in nature, what I mean is like, there was care. It was like, you could tell that every employee's energy 
was being invested into the creation of something of great quality. Okay. And they had a lot of care. They really cared about what they were putting out. They really cared about their customers. They cared about the lives of the people who were boarding the planes, right? This is all, these are feminine values, not women's values, feminine values. So then, you know, then I think there was a murder with McDonnell Douglas, who, by the way, they didn't have a very good record, but their, and their executive team like somehow came in and took over. And there were all of these things that were done over the years that basically um, separated out the financial decisions from the engineering team and made the engine, like, like engineers used to really push back at, at management. They actually physically separated them. The company started to be run based on profits. Like it was all about Wall Street. It was all about hitting numbers. It was all about shareholder value and less and less and less about safety. And, you know, they were running on a great brand with a great reputation and still modern aviation safety records are still like incredible, right? But when they put out, when they went to go do this new plane, and I'm sorry, this is a big spoiler like for everybody, but when they went to go put out this plane, they, they decided to use an old model and then make improvements so that they didn't have to go through the same FAA evaluation. And one of the ways that they avoided this evaluation was to not require uh, pilots do training on a simulator for this new plane. When they put in this MCAS software, which was the thing that caused the crashes, and you can go watch it for all the details, um, not only did they not tell them that this thing existed, um, even Lion Air, who was in Indonesia, they were like, hey, you know, this is a new plane. Um, we would love our pilots to do more training. Can we do simulator time? And Boeing was like, no. Why? Because it costs money. And they also, they sold all these planes with the promise that no one would ever have to do a simulator because that means that pilots have to be off-flying in a simulator for multiple, like it's all about the money, all about the money. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately, you know, after these crashes and they started really doing these investigations and there was a big Wall Street Journal investigator who, you know, was a big part of a lot of this. And what they found was that there was proof in these documents that they knew that if there was an issue with this system, the pilot would have 10 seconds or less to make the changes needed to avoid catastrophic fail failure. Ten, less than 10 seconds. And, and to know that you had less than 10 seconds to fix something you didn't even know was there. Right. It, I mean, the uproar about this whole, I mean, it was criminal, right? And, and ultimately, I think they paid something like $2.5 billion fine um, like settlement to avoid criminal prosecution, they knew. And even they also knew that um, they, they put it in their business model of like, yeah, we expect um, once every two years a crash, which is also like, that's just not normal for aviation, for a, a plane, a new plane 
to crash every two years. Meanwhile, two of them crashed within five months. And so the question is, it's like, if you can see the way that I look at this is like, they went from this collaborative, communicative, um, care-oriented, life-prioritizing organization to a profit-oriented organization that was literally extracting so much, cutting so much, taking from its employees, right? So like, this is where it's also like, when you're, when, when, when the employees are just being used, right? There's like a usage happening. It's an extraction of life force energy. It's an extraction of public, you know, and, and, and these businesses factor in an acceptable amount of death. And um, I'm just going to say this, but like big pharma too, everybody like, hello, you, I mean, it's in the business model. If you think that these companies care about us, like they, they care about your personal life or your family, they do not. You are, if you, something happens to you from one of these corporations, you are a little number on a spreadsheet somewhere and they have insurance and lawyers and all of this stuff already budgeted in to pay you off for something that you could never possibly be compensated for. Unless you're the pharmaceutical companies and then you don't have any liability because you pressured the government into that saying like, well, it's just too bad. I won't make them. Right. So, so, so this is what I'm talking about. Like, when I talk about, you know, like the, the, the masculine versus feminine value systems, right? It's the same way like we are just raping the planet. We have been for so long. Take, 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 take. Wouldn't you put it back? Right? I always talk about this time period, like, like you know, it's only been like a hundred something years since we really built the world, right? Like, and I'm like, we've been building sandcastles while the tide is out. And now everybody's like, oh my God, the tide's coming back in. And it's like, well, yeah, what the fuck did you think was going to happen? <laughs> it's the arrogance. It, this is what I mean. Like there's the, the, the egoic collective, you know, this is, this is a, the ego is always ma- like, it's, it's a masculine energetic in, in, in all people. And this, this arrogance, this human arrogance, right? This, this, it, it's so arrogant. And we're so disconnected. Yep. <laughs> I just, yep. You're like, okay. Yep. But um, hopefully that makes the point of what I was trying to explain. Yeah, I guess one, one other way that I would offer and perhaps uh, complementary perspective is is the idea of individuals scale up to a larger entity, right? And so when you talk about a culture or a society or a civilization, right, that thing in and of itself has motives, has a shadow side. There's this unconscious, dark expression that comes hey. out. Careful, because see, now you're getting into like, you want to demonize the feminine. No. No? Okay. What, how do you mean? 
like maybe I was inadvertently, but. Well, well, sh- I mean, shadow, shadow and, um, you know, it technically shadow and all that and dark, and that's all feminine. Okay. We want to make it bad. It just is. Like right, it's the conscious and the, and the unconscious. How do you describe the impacts of something and note that it's not great or, or perhaps well, to your great, point. Great if, in terms of what? So if, if to your point, if the tide is coming in and it's going to wreak havoc on oh, our I'm okay with that. Like I, to me, it's just fact. Like to me, to me, it's like, see this, this goes back to like approval too. See, see, we, we get utopian, we get I, idealistic and is as opposed to getting real, like mm. what we should be looking at now is like, wow. Okay. We are paying the piper, right? All energy is, is like, you, you cannot just take energy forever without giving it back. It's the same principle as karma. You know, you are responsible for um, the ripples that you ultimately set out, right? And so like the decisions we make today, our grandchildren will pay for. Future lifetimes, right? Like you pay for an incarnation, whether people believe that or not. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah, so I guess my question would be... But it's not about good or bad. Right. If we assume, if we accept that that is happening, right? Mm-hmm. Then what do you do with that? Because I feel like some people would just become apathetic. Like, we're fucked. Everything's fucked. We are oh, fucked well. and everything, everything is fucked. So just enjoy your life. Okay. And then where does... Maybe enjoying your life. <laughs> where does agency or free will al- alternative choices fit into that? I mean, look, I think that there's there's two pieces, right? I think there's always sort of like the acceptance of where the energy is flowing, right? We are in a large collective cycle at the moment. Um, and from my energetic assessment of where we are as a collective, there's no way we are going to be able to turn this ship. Okay. And that's not just about climate change. You can just feel, you feel the, like, it's almost like deepening into an addiction. The collective patterns that are happening right now are escalating, rising, they're getting more intense. They're getting more polarized. Like the, the momentum in the direction that we are going would require literal mass awakening in a way uh, that I I don't see, I I do not see possible or happening under the current circumstances or the resources that people have to do it. And uh, that level of awakening also, uh, you know, the majority of the world does not have the tools to know that they're not going crazy. Right. Like that, I mean, that, that's the thing, right. That's why we do wake up in community and we have people, teachers that guide us and all of that, because if you don't know what's happening, it is scary as fuck. And you think that you're going crazy. And I think that there are places where people are waking up, but, uh, you know, it's like being like, yep, I'm an alcoholic. And, uh, that's me going to the bar right now and going to do five shots and call it a night. Right. And it's like, that's where we're at. Like, I mean, 
That's the exact Pe- metaphor that came into my mind is like watching someone spiral yep. and knowing that they know they're an alcoholic yep. and knowing that they know they should go to the bar. That's right. And yet they haven't hit that rock bottom, dragging because their face the along on it. Yeah, it hasn't... The, the momentum has to hit it, right? Yeah. Very like. It's very difficult to watch an individual do that. And it's just like, I think we're doing that collectively. What you're describing there is like, it's well, all. At the same time, like I see, I, so when I work with people and you can see it, cause we, you know, you're living with Kendra right now. I know. So I drive I people, I drive people to the bottom right? because the bot. So, expedite so it. Like, well, and I hold them there. Right. Like, so, so the thing is, it's like, if you go to the bottom just through addiction and you know, you're using substances and things like that, um, there's a lot more wreckage and there's a lot more of a toll of sabotage and things that are going to happen. You know, other people hit the bottom when like they get cancer and like they, you know, and they just like, fuck, you know, like, wow. Um, and, 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 and they wake up from autopilot and they're like, I really need to do something different. And so, you know what? Some people don't though, right? Some people get sick and, and they don't change. And, you know, some people have these awakenings and they don't change. And that's like the same thing of like, you know, the drunk who has a DUI and is like, you know, put in jail and then they get out and they're drunk again. It's like, didn't you learn? And the thing is, our souls are here to learn. And each soul has its own particular experience that it needs to learn before it proceeds on to the next thing. It's like a game. I always think of it as like a video game, right? You know, like what, what, you know, I'm like, I chose a double black diamond. You know, like I had to go through all this shit in order to kind of have my awakening. Right. And, um, you know, and then, and then the thing is, uh, like one of my things was love addiction. Okay. So like, I was terrible. It's like, oh my God. Like I was obsessed. I was in fantasy, uh, but I was also like deeply not really available for intimacy. And, you know, I was like constantly just prioritizing men over everything and everyone. It was like, you know, the same way an alcoholic is, right. It was just like, I was obsessed with relationship and getting a guy and all of this stuff. And when I finally woke up to this, I was like, oh my God, like I spent how many years of my life with this as the center, right? And then like, and then you have to have all the grief and then you have to like be, just look at like all the harm that you caused because of it and like all the relationships you destroyed and all the ways you abandoned yourself and your boundaries and like the things you allowed to happen. And I mean, like, this is, you know, this is sobriety, right? But in those, in the, in that time, like, you know, (laughs) and this is the thing I always say to people about relationships. I was like, I was going to repeat that lesson until I learned that lesson. And it will repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. There is no end of repeating because that is why you're here. So, you know, like, look, I I see patterns in the world right now where I am deeply concerned about the next genocide, like on the horizon somewhere, somehow, some group of people wouldn't be surprised if it was people who had opted for bodily sovereignty. But, you know, um, we're moving in that direction. And people are like, you're crazy. What are you talking about? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not crazy. Go back and really study history. Go back and look and see 
you know, like the Holocaust, like I'm Jewish and, you know, the way that, that we, you know, we, we hold the Holocaust is very special. It's a sacred cow kind of thing, right? You know, in the sense that comparing things to the Holocaust is really offensive, right? It's, 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 it's not something that you do. It's like, okay, well, well, let's go back and look at the Rwandan genocide. Let's go back and look at what happened in Cambodia. Let's go look at, look, let's go look at what happened to lead up to the Uyghurs in concentration camps in China that nobody seems to be doing anything about, right? The re-educate, like all of these things. There are patterns that start so far before that. Right. And um, nobody wants to see any of it. And the reason that I say this is because as humanity, as a collective, we are still learning that lesson. Like how many genocides do we need to witness as as a humanity, as as a people on the planet before we're like recognized? Like what it is. So like one of the things like when I work on relationships with people, you know, everybody always wants to come and be like, this is what was wrong with him. And this and this, and he did this. Oh my God, I'm so victimized. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, great. I said, so let's go back to the moment that you selected him. And it's like, oh, fuck. And I said, oh, good. I said, so tell me why you selected him. It's like, oh my God, because I felt this rush chemistry in my body. And I said, yeah, I said, kind of like taking a hit from a crack pipe. Oh, shit, Perry. And I said, yeah. So because when you're a di- you're an addict, you don't make good choices. You choose what you think is sensational and then you confuse that for a good choice. Right. And so it's a similar thing. It's like, oh, this is happening. Oh, but it's but it's these people doing it. So those people, those are the good people. They're saying this. That would never happen. They would never kill anybody. Yeah, the idea that a, a good feeling means it's a good choice. Like unpacking that, it sounds like. Well, because there's two pieces, right? Like, I mean, when we when we make decisions about when we make decisions about relationships, a lot of times it's it's built on like something that's a familiar sensation, right? But when we're talking about this pattern of genocide, um, you know, it begins with collective othering collective subclassing, collective dehumanization, right? And so, so the moment that, that you kind of get into this societal level conversation of those people. It sounds like it's directly analogous though to the individual process it is. of it's that total, same it's total, effect, right? It's totally, it's totally analogous because pattern, pattern repetition human. is pattern repetition. Energetic patterns are energetic patterns. They're not personal. And they're not unique to any one person. And things that people experience are also things that the collective experiences. Right. In the case of the people you work with, they, it sounds like, are mistaking the familiar for the good. Right? It's like, oh, this feels familiar. So that means it's good in my body. So I'm going to continue perpetuating this, even though it's not resulting right. well, in and good that's choices. you, But that's usually like not something that they recognize until after the fact, right? Like through in right. the unpacking of it, right? So, so in order to, you know, for instance, like 
I'm not, I've never really done AA or anything like that. When I stopped drinking, I just stopped drinking because I wasn't really like, um, I didn't, I didn't need a program to stop drinking, but when it was gone, I was done, but I'm very familiar with the program. So like, you know, when you would look at any of the 12 step programs, for instance, you know, one of the things that they talk about is, um, you know, the things that trigger you towards your loss of sobriety so that, you know, like, oh, I had this really traumatic event. Like I lost my job. Shit. I better go to a meeting because I am at risk right now. Lost my job today. I am at risk of losing my sobriety because this is a high pressure, high stress event. And the thing is that when and, and look, I mean, I, I work on this with all kinds of levels of people of, you know, bringing awareness to their patterns and, and the awareness piece, it, it's, it's incredible. Like we do so many things without knowing that we're really choosing them until we go back and really begin to look. And a lot of people don't want to look because looking is painful. And you guide people through that pain in pursuit of truth? Yeah, I mean, pain is like, um, you know, the way that I look at it is, is it's not just in pursuit. Of, it's not in pursuit of truth. It's just like, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess in a way, like I, it, it, the way that I, I work with people is, is to, you know, you, you, start, you start with awareness and, and everything is really slow. Like, you know, you see like Kendra's in a two-year program with me, like, you know, everything is really slow so that, that it does not um, have to blow up your life, right? Like that we can de-thread things one thing at a time in a, in a responsible way. Um, but it's, it's like, it's really, the way I look at patterns and energetics of the ego is that a lot of it's unconscious, right? A lot of it's conditioned and programmed. And so if you want to know who you are at the deepest level, you, you have to wade through everything that you aren't, right? And that was, that was my introduction to awakening work with a teacher that I met in 2008. And um, his name is Dion Vimal, D-H-Y-A-N, same as V-I-M-A-L. And he's amazing. I met him in Bali um, accidentally <laughs> as, as enlightened masters show up on your doorstep. And he invited me into this retreat. I had no idea. Like my idea of spirituality at the time was um, like I had read The Secret. <laughs> I thought it was the best book ever written um, because I had no idea about anything. I was not a spiritual person. I, you know, but I was a miserable person. And I had all the things that everybody told me would lead to my happiness. And I know I was, I was, you know, 28 years old, I was making over a million dollars a year. I was going to Bali on the weekends. I had a gorgeous boyfriend at the time. Like, I mean, there was all this stuff. And I was just like, where the fuck is my happiness? Like I was, I was promised happiness, you know, like, where is it? And, and like, yeah, I mean, miserable. Like I was so miserable for so many years. And when I say miserable, I mean, like really, like hated life, but didn't want to kill myself miserable. And, um, and like, you know, so, so in a way, like I had my own trials and, 
you know, I was really grateful to meet him and, and, and I was on my vacation in Bali and he was like, come indoors and do this notebook. And I was like, fuck, no. I was like, can I do this at the pool, please? Or something, you know, like, I was just like, I want to be outside. And, and really like, I mean, he gave me like this hundred page workbook and just going through like everything that I believed. Right. And I think eventually, I think the one, the thing that really got me was that in doing the work, I was like, I found this belief that was like everything that I had ever achieved was for the approval of someone else. And it was so disgusting. And I was like, do I even want any of this? Like, what the fuck am I doing? Who am I? Who am I without this belief? And it was like literally pulling the card out from the bottom of the house of cards. And I left Bali on a Sunday and I went back to Hong Kong on the Monday or uh, I went back to work in Hong Kong on the Monday and I called my boss in New York. who was like my brother. He, he unfortunately died last year. And I said to him, I was like, I'm done. And he was like, done with what? <laughs> and I was like, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm quitting. And I was like, he's like, you are about to make a partner. He was like, uh, <laughs> he's like, do you want to take some time off? Like, you know, you know what I mean? He was like, what are you talking about? Like the idea that I had worked 10 years for like, I was about to make partner. I was like, so good at headhunting. Like I, you know what I mean? I was good. Like I was really good. And, and all this, and I was like, nope. I was like, this is not me. I was like, I got to go. I was like, I don't know who I am, but like, this isn't it. I was like, I'll give you a month. I'll hand over everything. I'll, I'll do my best to make it like as seamless as possible, but I got to go. And like, you know, I'm, I'm an impulsive risk taker and I had no plan. I had no idea how I was going to make money. I mean, I had money in the bank. So, you know, I just went with that. And that was, and that was, that was big. Right. But it was it, it sort of like the process of really considering, well, why why are you doing that? How how did you get there? What are the beliefs and the choices that you made? And is it actually true? Like it was true that I was really good at my job. They still like, you know, like I still see like my one of my old bosses and he'll, he'll just be like, I just still can't believe you left the business. Like you were such a good headhunter. He's like, you'd be worth like a hundred million dollars by now. And I was just like, yeah. And like miserable, miserable. Right. And really like now I have what I really wanted, which is like, I mean, the only thing that I ever really wanted was a family, like, you know, a husband, like I was a love addict. I always wanted a husband, but I could never, have I could never have married a man like I married if I hadn't gone through, you know, it was like, it was like I had to, I wanted this for so long and I just like couldn't get it and couldn't get it and couldn't get it. And then like, I finally gave up all of the things that had me crazy about it. And then I finally like became the woman who could have it. You know, it's a little bit of a hero's journey. And it's so paradoxical as well. People always want, the king, right, in this example. And it's like, cool, you have to be a queen and you have to get to the place where you are a queen. It's like, 
oh, oh no, I, don't, I just want the king. Like, I don't right. Want like I want him to be the way yeah. I want him, but I don't want to have to be the person to have it. Right. See, but this, and this is a cultural thing for us too, right? You know, like a lot of people love to complain. People love to say, well, I want this and we should have this. And it's like, really? Okay. Are you ready to be the person? Uh, I was reading something today, um, you know, just about, you know how like everybody talks about like electric vehicles and like, this is the future. We need to get off of gas. And then um, I was reading this article that was like, we as a country are nowhere prepared to make the batteries for these vehicles. We're not willing to mine for them here. And basically everything that we get, you know, is processed in China. Like China has like, like processes all the lithium. Right. You know, like I bought a car this summer and they were basically like, you got to take what's here. We don't have stock. And, and the reason is because they don't have these chips. There's like a shortage in the chips and there's a shortage in the batteries. I'm like, I'm renovating my house right now. We're going to put in a solar roof and had this conversation. They're like, yeah, installation. We hope will happen this year. All shortage of products. And sure, there's like a supply chain issue, but there's also a resources thing. So it's kind of like, you know, we, we think like, we'll get off petroleum and then it's like, no, no, then we're going to be mining everywhere, just even more for lithium and copper and nickel and all of this stuff. And it's like, we don't, we don't really think through everything. Yeah. And to your point though, about the king and the queen ideal and <laughs> sacrifice and need. No, to- I don't know if I, I would not say sacrifice. I would not use the word sacrifice. Whatever verb means to exchange one choice for another. Mm-mm. I would say it's, it's, it's to step into the responsibility of holding the choice. That's true. Mm. Like his response, it's like stepping into, because I, I don't want to say sacrifice because that requires, that, that means there's an exchange. Like I don't want people to, exchange. I don't, well, you shouldn't, it, it, it's not from the perspective of, um, but it's not from the perspective of sacrificing because really what it is, is it's a, it's an evolution or it's an evolutionary choice. I like, guess from where I was coming from is like, you have to sacrifice your comfort. You have to sacrifice your victim. I would not put it that way. I'll tell you why I wouldn't use the word sacrifice. Yeah. When you say I have to sacrifice my comfort, you are now victimized. You are, you are literally setting yourself up as I am a victim of my choice. I don't understand that. No, no, I'm a victim of my choice by yeah. using the word sacrifice. sacrifice. Yeah, because I'm choosing to do a bad thing. Is that like the way? No, because of the it, word because it has like a martyrdom nature to it, right? Like there's this thing of like, well, I'm sacrificing my comfort. Oh, I'm gonna have to be uncomfortable. See, look how great I am for being uncomfortable. Like there is, there is this, this. Do do you see what I'm saying? It's like no, no, yeah, you I just. Get it. You just need to be, you need to be willing to be uncomfortable. Yeah. I, I, I see it. I think you we're see the, the same... active choice in the word willing versus yeah. sacrifice. Yeah. I think it's like the subtlety of language and semantics. I think we're on the same page in terms of like. Totally. Okay. I'm just, I'm just refining it from the way that I would be like, I would not use that word because it gotcha. infers victimhood. That's all. I was just making sure I wasn't completely missing something and like 
Like, but it is so. So I guess <laughs> now I'm like trying to choose my words very carefully, which mm. I think is a good a good habit. But it sounds like there was one series of choices or decisions being made, and then there is a intervening incident, which then results in a different set of choices being made moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think with every level of awakening, you are invited, right, into another layer of choice. And and the thing is, you really can't be awake until you recognize that you are the creator. So like all of the work that I do is, is starts mm. with that life is not happening to you, that you are, you, you are an active participant in the creation of life. It doesn't mean there's no chaos. It doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. It doesn't mean that you won't have bad experiences. It's just that you aren't, you aren't those experiences, right? I'll, I'll give you an example. I was in a gas station and people love to talk to me. So I, I don't go out in public very often. <laughs> so I was in this gas station and uh, I don't remember why, <laughs> but I was in the gas station and this man was behind me online uh, and he was an older man. I mean, he was probably in his 60s. And no, I'm always friendly. I always say hi to people I got. And I will always like hold space and, you know, to some degree and whatever. And he opened up and he was just like, I got hit by a tractor trailer when I was 17. And he proceeded to tell me the story. And I was like, in that moment, I was like, oh my God, I feel so bad for this man. Because that was the peak of his significance in his life. That he's still in his 60s, walks around and tells people that he was hit by a tractor trailer when he was 17 because somehow that gets the kind of love and attention that a story like that would provide. Like, wow, oh my God, you are so lucky to be alive. Like, like it's a shocker, like, whew. Like people will listen to that story, right? Like that is incredible that you are standing here before me. But what I felt was sadness because I was like, wow, this man got stuck at the level of being 17 and having this tragic accident. And then nothing was more sensational than that. Nothing was more connective than that. He never received more attention than he did when he told that story. And that fucking broke my heart. And it happens all the time. And our culture of rescuers, these like self-appointed superior people who think they need to save everyone from themselves, which is like the most disgusting fucking archetype in my opinion. Um, and I know we don't like to talk about good and bad, but Perry, my human being, has some opinions about rescuers. And... Um, that would be it, that they're disgusting. Uh, saving people from themselves is gross. And- uh, No, I was told that it just is. It is, it is, it totally just is. But like, like I have full approval. You. I have, no, I have full approval for my humanity too, because yeah. I am a judgy bitch. And <laughs> I love my judgy bitch. People are always like, you're a spiritual teacher. Like you're, a, you know, like, they think they, they they caught me or something. And I'm like, no, no, I'm also a judgy bitch. I, I reserve the right to be human as well. 
And you savor that part of yourself and enjoy it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So yeah, sure. You know, if you know you're being a rescuer and you're, you know, you're doing it and you're just like, I love saving people from themselves. It makes me feel so important and superior and I'm just totally going to do it all day. And this is fantastic. I'd have a lot more approval for it, actually. Um, I'm so codependent. I am so codependent that I cannot make a decision unless you tell me how you feel about this too. Wait, but I have um, a question though, going back to that man, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that older man that was like, when I was 17, is it, is it fair to say that he, um, him choosing to stay in that victim space is what makes him special and that that special then like helps him receive love and belonging and connection? So, so, so right. Like, so if you think about it, um, so the ego Right. The ego has three things that really define it. Right. Separation, safety. And the third one. Yeah. Like just blinked. The other, the other, other. Oh, separation, separation, safety. Did I say separation? Yeah. But like we can just say separation part two for now. Oh my God, I can, I'll, I'll come back with it. But there are three, okay. there are three voices of the ego, basically. Like I'm not enough, you know. Um, Separation, safety, and the other one. Yeah, the other one, we'll get to it. But, 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 but the, point of, the point of that is, is that um, when, when, you know, our, our ego is really here to, for survival, right? It's, it's, is that the it's third one? here. No, oh, no, I don't no, think it's survival. Okay. No, but the, the ego, the, the ego. Is, oh, yeah, no, that's in safety, survival, right? So the, the ego is here to, to 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 have a survive. Like if you think about the personality, like in how people form their identities, their identities are formed based on how they get love and connection, right? Your entire personality is going to be formed based on how you experience getting love and connection as a child, right? And you know, just that, and this is, this is where awakening work comes in because to me, think about it. It's like all of your survival mechanisms that, that you, that you layer on are layered on top of this like open divinity that came through a body. Right. And then, and then as you go through life, you put on all of these protective armors and all of this particular ways of behaving just so you can manipulate and get the love and connection that you need. Because you know what, as a baby, you need love and connection. And as adults, we need love and connection too, but we're capable of having love and connection in a open and authentic way where, you know, and and this is really what I teach, which is like, you know, take it all off. Like, I don't, I don't want to be in connection with you unless I'm in connection with the deepest part of you. I am not interested in having a relationship with your survival patterns. I am not interested in having a relationship with your trauma. I want to be in relationship with open, conscious, like life-loving adults who are aware of their divinity. And it's so confronting for individuals who have no idea that they're living day to day in a trauma pattern or in a victim mindset, et cetera. So that exposure. Well, and the thing is that you have the, cause you have the rescuers. So the rescuers are like, you can't say that to people. That's mean. 
oh my God, how terrible are you? Perry, you're so harmful and problematic. You can't say that to people. That is so offensive. And I'm like, no, I'm honest. And I actually see those people that you see as broken victims as like powerful divine souls. And like, I'm going to relate to them like that. But you, in order to maintain your superiority over them, you continue to treat them like they're fucking broken so you can feel good about yourself. I'm like, I'm not going to participate in that. We all have the things until you begin to take them off. That's it. Hmm. Yeah, I remember years ago, I went to see this somatic practitioner, Nicole Lowe's, who's been on the podcast. It's a good hmm. episode. And we were chatting. And then she said to me, uh, she said, what part of you is a survival strategy left over from childhood? What part of you is actually you? And how do you tell the difference? And I was like, it was one of those moments in my life where I was just like, oh, fuck me. What did you, I like, I think I put my head on my forehead. It was like, why have I never heard that question or considered it before? Just like, well, and that, and that's just it. That goes back to the exact thing that we were talking about, about like, you know, when people choose, let's say, abusive relationships because that's mm. the sensation that's familiar, like if they grow up in with trauma or whatever, you know, I mean, I grew up in a very volatile household, like with a lot of um, emotional and like verbal abuse. And like, I didn't know that people didn't yell at each other until like I went to college. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, I just did not know. Get, that, go to like, dinner at a friend's house and like, why aren't you screaming at each other? You know, like, I mean, I was also, I was pretty isolated as a kid, just due to the nature of everything. Um, and I, I think that like, you know, when you, when, when you grow up in a certain way, you, you also always associate some kind of care and love, like with that experience. And so like, my system always associated like being interested in a relationship in like something that was like high sensation, right? So like people that I would have like a lot of like surface level sexual tension with and like fighting and like, you know, like they're just, they're just be, you know, like, like that's where my, my interest lied. Like that's what turned me on. And so, so when I had to, and, and this is common, like, I mean, I can't, I can't tell you how common this is. It's like, it's run of the mill. And a lot of times when I work with people on relationship related things like this, I'm always like, yeah, you can't trust that. You can't trust your trauma to help you make good choices for something that's, that's going to, that's going to evolve through that. In fact, when I met my husband, I nearly friend zoned him. I did. I nearly friend zoned him. And, um, and you know, we, we have this like really beautiful, I mean, our, our relationship is really deep and it's really hot. But like the thing about our relationship is like on the surface, it's a lot calmer. We flow really beautifully together. But I had never had that on the surface. I never had calm on the surface. And what's nice about that is like to have a partner, you don't necessarily want volatile on the surface. I mean, that makes doing life together just like really hard. 
It doesn't mean that you don't, you want somebody that you have really hot sex with, obviously. I mean, I don't know, maybe some people don't care about that, but I do. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be the energy that is, that is driving everything, right? Like, and, and, and frankly, like, um, the other problem with like, uh, you know, high sensation energies is that, you know, and I forget what, I forget what, what show it was, but there was this show where this woman, it was Nicole Kidman. She was, she was in a relationship and it was definitely abusive it was right on the edge of abusive and like the sex was so hot. Right. And so the, the things that get so close and it's like, you know, why don't people leave abusive relationships? That's one of the reasons because it's not always abusive. And when it's not abusive, it can be really, really hot. Mm. And then what happens is if that's your standard and you go out and you meet someone who's not abusive, a lot of times and this was true for me. It was like, no, they're boring. Training, training women to like not choose abusive men is like, yeah, go date a bunch of boring people and then go beneath the surface. Take the time, right? Don't just dismiss them because you think they're boring. And, and by the way, like, I just want to say, like, because people, this is a sensitive topic, like, there's lots of reasons why women don't leave abusive men. I mean, there, there is real danger. I definitely acknowledge that. Like, you know, this, this is not only a consciousness thing. Like, you can, you can play at different levels. But, but, but I, I, am, I, take, I take domestic violence very seriously. I don't, you know, like, if I ever hear about it in my community or in a relationship, like, I, I, I take it very seriously. I just helped somebody leave somebody. Yeah. I actually, when you were describing that abusive versus excited dichotomy, I kind of just pictured a spectrum, right? Of like, oh, it's not always abusive, right? But maybe like on Tuesday night at 8 p.m. when we had that conversation, like that was abusive. Or like mm -hmm. that thing that you, that one sentence that you just told me, that was abusive, right? And so well, and it's there's, different, there's different levels of that because I think that everyone can be abusive. Right. I think, sure. I think everyone, I think everyone on the spectrum has the capacity to be abusive. And I think, you know, what, like if we had to define abusive, see, I think passive aggressiveness is so abusive. I think nonviolent communication is abusive. Like, you know, there, there's, there's this thing where like, I would rather have someone's clear, honest screaming in my face than someone's like manipulative, passive aggressive lying but I find the latter much more violent. I agree with you. I wrote this thing a while ago talking about the idea that sarcasm is bullying. And so I think sarcasm or humor can be a form of abuse if you're manipulating the situation, if you're trying to control the other person, et cetera. And like, that was an interesting realization for me of like, oh, where do I use sarcasm? Where do I use my humor to puppet string the situation? Whatever. Do you agree with that? I think, I think it, I think it, well, because I, I, I also think that, um, one of the signs of woke fascism is that we've lost humor. And like, I think we need to be able to mock people. And I think we need to be able, I mock people all the time. I'm like, yeah, hi, like my name is, yeah. you know, like I, I love mocking people. Um, I think it's important because 
it's not like you're mocking the the being you're mocking the pattern of how they're showing up and mm. this is another piece like you need to be able to point to things that way sarcasm is so important my favorite my favorite uh instagram account is the babylon bay like i fucking love them so much they make me laugh because it's almost so close to the truth but it's just mm. got that little bit of edge and yeah. like i think we need that but i think the way I worked through it was like, what's the intention underneath it? Like, is the intention to control, dominate, avoid, sure, etc. Versus, or is it like, that's just fucking weird and fun and playful and like, you know, I'm trying. Well, to I that. think humor and sarcasm has always had a, a piece of like actually pointing to a truth, an uncomfortable truth, that's kind of offensive to say. It's like, I mean, right? some of the best comedians are the darkest or. I, I love, but I love, I love comedy for that reason. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that, um, again, this super lefty, I mean, like I used to be really liberal. Do you know that? I used to be like really much more, I mean, I'm not conservative. Like, I mean, Jesus Christ, I teach pussy stroking, uh, <laughs> but I'm definitely not conservative. Um, yeah. And I, I'm definitely not religious like that. Like, you know, obviously I'm a big believer in choice. I'm a big believer in full expression. I think everybody should be able to live how they want to live. Um, but there is like this place of um, just like thinking everyone needs to be saved from their feelings from like, oh my God, if you say that, you say that you're putting people's lives in jeopardy and like, you know, and it's, it's like these lives are important and it's like no one said that they weren't important, but we can make fun of them too. Right. And we can make fun of ourselves and we can make fun of, you know, we, we can make fun of culture, right. Because there are things that are to be made fun of in all cultures. Like if you can't fucking make fun of shit, what is the point of being human? What are your thoughts on trigger warnings? Uh, it's so funny. I was actually about to write a post on that today because somebody in my group did a trigger warning yesterday on a post. And I said, we don't do trigger warnings in my space. So we read it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to write a post about why we don't do trigger warnings in my space. And so like the reason that we don't do trigger warnings is because this is a spiritual space. You are responsible for your triggers and you are responsible for working through them and using them as tools for awakening. I don't believe that our society should be tiptoeing around people's trauma. You don't heal trauma by not being exposed to things. Mm. Right? And what's happened is there's like this identity with trauma. And then there are all these people doing this work, the trauma-informed. And like, I'm just going to say there's place for trauma-informed work. Like to me, trauma-informed work should be done to get somebody out of active trauma. But the idea, like meaning, meaning that their nervous system is so dysregulated that they are so unconscious, that they are so in fight or flight that like they need it to stop. Okay, like I get that. Um, but like here, I'm gonna give you really, I'm gonna give you an example. Like I knew this woman who is morbidly obese. I mean, very obese. And she wrote this post on Facebook and was basically like, Folks, you need to stop putting on your exercise and your food posts because it is fat shaming and it is very triggering to fat people. And I was just like, 
wow, like you're serious. Like you're serious that you don't want to look at whatever is going on with you so badly that you need to police other people about sharing about their exercise and their food. Are you fucking kidding? And then the worst part is that there are people who will be like, oh my God, <gasps> I'm being so abusive to fat people because I'm posting about my exercise. I better not do that. Oh my God. What we're basically saying is that we can't be responsible for ourselves and we can't, and, and other people can't be responsible for themselves. And then that just lights up all those rescuers and they're like, okay, I'm going to go around the internet now and I'm just going to tell everyone exactly how harmful and, and problematic they are. And, and my name is Becky and I'm just going to, um, yeah, like, so, oh my God, that is so mean. Oh my God. I'm going to report you to the woke police. I'm going to, I'm going to report you to Instagram. This is harmful and dangerous. And like, this shouldn't be on the internet. Like, I love mocking. I mean, what would life be like? <laughs> that was legit. We're having fun now, right? That was legit an outstanding voice. Like that didn't even sound like you. That caricature, whatever. I did like, go to was... theater school. Oh yeah. I did. I went to Tisch. Why? You wanted to be an actress or a initially was uh yeah. I mean I would I would I did all theater. I really wanted I actually wanted to be on Broadway. And I got into Tish, which is like, you know, the number one performing arts school in the country <laughs> with like a 6% acceptance rate, I think, when I applied. And it was the only school I applied to. And my parents were like, are you fucking crazy? And I was like, no. I was like, because if I can't get into the, well, if I can't get into the best performing arts school in the country, do you think that I should actually pursue performing arts? I was really <laughs> like, this is me at like 16, right? I was like, if I can't get into the best school, then I'm not going to do it. But then I did it for two years and it was wonderful. It was an incredible experience, right? Because in NMYU, you know, you do conservatory and you are, uh, you know, you're, you're in conservatory three days a week. And so like, that was like, you know, I'd start my day with like stretching and movement and, you know, you'd have improv and Shakespeare and, uh, you know, um, different different acting classes and voice and speech and all the things. And then like two years in, I had another one of those moments actually, like, you know how I had in Bali. It was like, I was sitting in my voice and speech class, which was my favorite because you know, I was from Long Island and I used to really talk like this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was voice and speech class. And then one day I was like sitting there and, the room shifted. Like it was, it was like I was in the room and then I was like, it was, it was like I was back behind the room and I just had this really clear, like, I'm done. Went to the payphone, called my dad. And I was like, I'm, I'm done with theater. He was like, what? He's <laughs> spending all this. My, my dad, like very graciously paid for my college. Very, very, very thankful for that uh, privilege um, of not having student debt. Um, it sounds but, like it's the same as that other guy. It's like, no, you're not done. You're almost partner. Like you're yeah, like, I mean, you're like, well, and, you're at the and, best theater program around. Like, well, and, and same thing with all the teachers. They were just like, people don't quit Tish. Like, hmm. what do you mean? They're like, why don't you take an academic semester? Just, you know, take a break. 
But what I had, what I had, what was clear to me actually, and it's, it's interesting that I had this knowledge at the time, but like my system was really unstable back then. Like I did have a lot of trauma back then. My nervous system was very easily triggered, <laughs> you know, and, and like, uh, uh, and I really tried to like manage you, you know, like it with, with drinking and like, you know, there, there's, there was, there was just a lot of trying to, to manage my life, you know, for a while. And I didn't feel like I was stable enough. Like, I mm. felt like, I felt like if I went and did theater or acting that I'd probably end up dead. I feel like you've chosen well then. Yeah. Well, I kind of, you know, I, I just was, I, it was, it was clear. Like I didn't really, and again, this, this goes to like following that deeper thing. Yeah. I didn't ask why I just, I got the, I got the clear download of like, this is over next scene. Yeah. I think we can all relate to that. Well, once there's this knowing or an epiphany or for me, when I talked about that, like what's part of you is real versus a defense mechanism. It's like, Oh my gosh. Once I know that in my bone marrow, Mm -hmm. there's, you can't unknow it. You can't unknow it. Right. And then every moment afterwards, it's not, in honor of that is just a complete terrible experience. So I had a question for you. Okay. Because I was like, when I was, when I was reading about you, I was like making kindness cool. And I was like, well, what is kindness? Oh yeah. Someone asked me that the other day I was on a podcast and it's like, I don't know. I, like, I feel like I've kind of branded myself as that for a long time. And maybe to yeah. your point about what we were just saying, it's like, I don't feel like how it started is how it is currently. Mm, and I think there's the still a, yeah. And there's still definitely an umbrella kind of ideal that I have Tell me. with my work and how I see the world, which is like the promotion of empathy and compassion I view mm. as like a root solution to a lot of the root problems that we have collectively. I just feel like if we can, so how would you, how would you differentiate? Like if, I feel like there's such a, you know, like, okay. So for instance, when, what, what most people experience as kindness, right. Yeah. Is like what, what we would call codependency, martyrdom and and I'm not saying that that's true right but like it's like well for instance like I'm not nice but I am kind and I'm kind in a way that like in my definition of kind is like um you can trust that I will always be honest with you that honesty that truth may not be nice like meaning you may not that it may be bitter you may not like it but um I think in my value system honesty is by far the greatest kindness. Yeah, I would agree with that. And But most ways, people would not experience it that way. Well, not in the moment, certainly. <laughs> right? But sometimes, to your, to your point earlier, sometimes the kindest thing you can do is like let someone keep drinking. Sometimes the kindest thing you can do that I've heard on this podcast is like telling your sister, I cannot be in your life anymore while you are addicted to heroin. I will always be here for you if you truly need me and you are ready to change your life. Like Totally. I mean, so that, like, that is, so it's that a, is kindness. It's a bit of a head fuck, right? Because in some sense, the perpetuation of suffering is kindness. 
Well, yes, because like, so this goes back to the, the non-good bad thing, because it's like, you know, my teacher, one of my teachers, she, she said, she always said, you know, she's like the, the most unkind thing you could do is try and rescue someone from their bottom. Right. Which is, which is the thing that we just talked about. Right. Like, which is. And I've had that with, with friends just in the last six months, there was a circumstance where I just felt like he is not, he hasn't hit bottom yet. And it's yeah. so sad to me to watch. And I have so much fear for him. With drugs? With drugs? No, it was a whole thing. Okay. Uh, but it was But like, like, you don't think his life is at risk? Oh, no, no. Yeah. It's, right, right. I mean, there's just different levels. That's a levels. clear distinction of like, if, you're, if your life is at risk, then like, yeah, that's like a completely different circumstance. Or if there's an abusive relationship that's ongoing, it's like, there's lines to be drawn. This was just like, you're going to fuck up your life, I fear. And like, and you're yeah, but not ready that, to But maybe that's, a, maybe that's the best thing for him. Right, See, in, in this, the long in term. The, but this is like, for me, it's so uncomfortable of like, okay, man, like, I but accept that's because that you now. have Because you have an idea of what you want for him. Like, what if his soul has a totally different idea? Right. And that's the place that I got to. It's just yeah. like, you know, like I could see this going in one way and like, we've talked about it and, uh, okay. Like, I'm just going to step back and observe the ride. And, and to your point, like maybe in three years, he gives a Ted talk about it and is a best-selling author and has met his soulmate and has changed his life and impacts millions of people. Like, we just don't know how it's going to turn out. Because here's what I would say is that, you know, back in that time when I quit my career, I mean, I mean, my, everybody that I knew was like, Perry has lost her mind. Like, okay. I, I, I walked away from a million dollar plus career, right? Like, like <laughs> that I had worked over a decade for, like, I, I, I mean, substantial things, right? And, um, and, and, and people did think I was ruining my life fully. The people who valued me for what I had achieved and all of the goodies that like were part of my package. They did. They thought I was ruining my life. And that's the thing is that we never know. Never know. And so, yes, you're right. The kind, the kind thing is to trust his journey, yeah. but you can always tell him what you think. I think it's always, you know, saying to somebody, look, man, I think you're going to wreck your life. Meaning like if, if you're, if you're okay with that, then like by all means, but just like, I'm just going to tell you what I see. Yeah. It was basically that. It was like, I see yeah. some things potentially down the road that maybe you don't see because you're staring at the steering wheel. So like, just for your consideration, you know, have at it. Yeah. So I think the other, the other thing just to add briefly hmm. is like, I'm a big proponent of kindness and compassion at scale, but also individually. And so I think, I think that we agree on this in the work that you do with cultivating awareness and holding space for all of the darkness, the shadow requires oh, yeah. a tremendous empathy and compassion for what is there, for what has happened, for how you are feeling in the moment. So I think there's that angle as well. I think, you know, the key with that is, is like really rooting out shame and the, you know, cause, cause shame is really what prevents, prevents it because like, what, you know, to me, when we don't have, when we feel shame, right, or we don't have approval for our own humanity, we're not going to have a lot of approval for someone else's humanity. And really, like, 
our relationship with other people is really just a reflection with our, our relationship with ourselves. Like, you know, so mm-hmm. funny because we talk about chat, like, like part of, part of my personality is to be judgy. Like I just love judging, <laughs> but I'm also really like, you know, I'm a stickler for myself, right? Like, you know, like I, I hold myself to really high standards, but not in a compressive way. And I have two kind of parts, right? I, I it's like, Oh, people like when I talk to people about this, I'm when I teach, I'm always like, you know, there's like my channel, like when I'm channeling and I'm just like, just wide open. And then there's like my human, right? Um, uh, there's a great reel. Have you ever heard that reel? Like there's hood me and there's, <laughs> there's hood me and there's like conscious me and like, you know, hood me is like, I don't know. Or like conscious me is like, I know hurt people hurt people. And then like me is like, yeah, but I just want to, I just want to fuck you up. Right. Sort of anyway. like uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and just like, you know, having approval for these different parts, you know, I, I I'll never forget. Like, like one of the things that happens when people project onto me too, is like, they'll see these parts of me and they're like, see, I caught you. And I was like, no, you didn't catch me. I am just judging. <laughs> Like, and I am full approval of it. And like what, what it is, is that you're not in approval of either your judgment or my judgment. And therefore you think I'm doing something wrong. You think you've caught me being something like I'm in approval of my humanity. Like I'm in approval of the things that are not. Um, why do you think idealized. you're, why do you think you're such a polarizing figure? Or would you describe yourself as, yeah. Oh, totally. Put, I've softened it a lot of the time, actually, but you know, I, I, you know, I'm not really out there mainstream. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of behind the scenes in a lot of ways. And I, you know, just have my little magnetic vortex and, you know, the people who, who are meant to find me, find me. And then occasionally I do conversations like this, but like, I've never done press. I don't have a book. Like I I haven't done any of that stuff yet. And I think part of it has been a little bit of preparation because, you know, one of the things that I've had to actually work really hard on is, because I think this is also like from what I consider feminine spirituality is that feminine spirituality considers both the reality of humanity as well as sort of what I consider spiritual principles. Like I can't work with a diverse group of people if I can't do the yes and like of spiritual and universal law and energetic law but like also really look at their lived experience and the things that may have been different than my lived experience. And, you know, this goes to compassion and, and also like that I don't get caught up in my identity, you know? So for instance, if I'm a, if I'm here to, to really give people powerful truths when they're my students, I need to make sure that I can do that equally for all people. And part of that is working on my own shit where I'm like, well, I'm not going to tell that person the full truth because, you know, they may think I'm a bad white lady. Right. And it's like, well, I have to be willing. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like in that moment, like I, I have to take the risk. I have to be willing for, for people to um, misunderstand me or have to be willing to make a mistake or I have to be, you know what I mean? In, in order, in order to fully serve people. And so I think it's, it's like, it's not bypassed spirituality. It's like, how do, how do I, how do I be connected to 
the people that I'm working with really deeply, both to their humanity and to like serving the energetic law. And because that is so different to how our culture or society functions, it is perceived as dangerous. Well, and and what I've learned too is that like, so I think over the years, I've had to really refine how I teach and like the things that I say. And like, I have over time gotten to be way edgier in what I can deliver in a clean way. Right. I used to get my ass kicked a lot. Uh, and this is what I mean. Like, you've got to be willing to make mistakes. You've got to be willing to practice. And I actually teach a course on this. It's called Slay. And it's all about like full expression. Right. So like mm-hmm. if I am, if I'm here, right. And I'm just worried about cancel culture and I'm worried about people trying to deplatform me or all of that, that's going to come out in my communication and see like people, people think that it's, it's the, the, the direct stuff. And, and believe me, there are plenty of people who they heard my stuff. They would not understand it. And then they would deem it harmful because that's what we do with things we misunderstand. Okay. Anyone who knows my heart and anyone who knows like really what I serve and anyone who works with me would never think that. And there are things that I can say in, in, in that, in those relationships that would never be okay in, for instance, like, uh, just, I don't know, like in certain circles, like where they hold different values. Right. Right. So if you, if you, if you come from a circle, that's basically like, um, okay, Perry, you, you need to behave this particular way in order for us to think you're a good person and in order for you to be included here. Uh, otherwise we need to protect other people from you. Um, well then that's their value system. Right. And so like the biggest problem that I have, and, and I've actually have a lot of peace with it now with cancel culture, because I'm like, those aren't my values. Like you, you can't police me based on your value system. And I think that that kind of bullying has been very intimidating to a lot of people. And I see a lot of people not fully in their full expression because they are so concerned with being taken down. They're so concerned about their business being like called out on the internet. And, and we don't have, like, you look at these things and it's like, there's no compassion to be seen whatsoever in cancel culture. Like yep. they pull things out of like people's, look, look what they did to Joe Rogan. They pulled out when, when they couldn't cancel him for misinformation, they went digging through things and then they made that compilation of him saying the N word and I'm not saying anyone should I, like, I, I don't agree with it. Okay. And I don't know. I don't really know the context of all of those things, but the point of, of making that compilation was to take things from 10 years ago and say, this is who he is. This is the entirety of who he is. And therefore, if you listen to him, you're a racist, right? It was, it was, it, it is diminutive. It's like, it's, it's diminishing him to, to a couple of things and then saying that is who he is and we are canceling that. We are canceling everything. We're canceling him. We want him off Spotify. We're leaving Spotify. No one can do, you know, and, and it's just like, yeah, okay, good. Have a, go, have a good time with that. And like, to me, the way that you become uncancelable is to say like, no, <laughs> no. And really, you know what? I don't think he lost fucking one listener. 
Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Like, it's like, it's, 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 and, and by the way, like you can see this on the right as well, right? Like the right, the right does this with, with religion, right? And, and there's a way where when people walk around and they project their moral superiority and their values onto other people and say, this is what you have to do. This is how you have to behave in order to be a good person. And I, I can't live my life unless you follow my morality. Mm. And that is just fucking straight up codependence. It's childish. And it's not reality. It's unkind as well. Totally unkind. It is the most selfish fucking thing ever. It does not respect other people's sovereignty. It, it looks at another person and says, I need to control your behavior in order for me to not have feelings. And in order for me to maintain my position of superiority and in order for me to maintain that the things that I believe are real and true and uh, otherwise this illusion that I am living in is going to pop and burst and shit, then I'm going to have to have some feelings and then I'm going to have to look at my life and shit, I don't want to do that. That's just really inconvenient. Can I just turn the TV back on, please? Jeremy's like, oh my God, this episode is going to be like... (laughs) No. You know what I was honestly thinking? Yeah, That That I'm really hungry. What are you hungry for? Yeah, no, but how the episode is perceived, I have not a care in the world about. Oh, good. I mean, point. I, you know, yeah. I, I just never know. I'm always like, well, is mm-hmm. are you sure you want to have me on as a guest? I might yeah, not know what I'm going to say. That's why I want to have you on as a guest. Like, <laughs> that's what makes it appealing to me. And I think that you are. What are you hungry for? I want to know what you're hungry for. I just haven't, I haven't eaten today. Oh, mm. Yeah, calories, essentially. Uh, do you want to pause and you can get some food? Oh, no. It, I have like a process. I like oh, make okay. a thing. Got it, got it's it, like, it. yeah. Um, but I, I like having you on because you have strong opinions and you do initiate different ways of thinking. You do hold space for other perspectives and you are kind of this grenade that we can toss out into the world. Like, well, hang on. What she's saying is probably worthy of consideration or at least a moment. And I think that's why, I mean, that's why I listen to podcasts. Like I don't listen to podcasts so that I can hear all of the stuff that I already know told to me. It's like, I want to learn some shit. I want to hear some different perspectives. I love hearing stories. Like that is, I mean, when I, when I love, you know, I love the intimacy of of two people talking and then just getting to listen and then hearing stories, right? Like some of these stories that I've told today, like I, I'm like, I don't always tell these stories. I appreciate you telling them. Yeah, I mean, it's just I like hearing them too from other people, right? Like it's it's a fun part about like, the format of the conversation. Hundred percent, yeah, and uh, and come back anytime. But I do feel at this time that I need to wrap it up because I'm quite You're hungry. hungry. Yeah, it's good. I, 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 didn't, I didn't realize we were getting, normally it goes like forty five to an hour. I didn't think it was going to go like a long one, but after about oh, three minutes, easily. I was like, oh shit, should I eat? Oh shit, this is going to be a three hour conversation. <laughs> Should have packed some fine. snack bars and a bottle of water and like backpack of of all all the all the sustenance to yeah. to, to get you through. Um, I I just want to leave people with um, can I leave people with something? 
Of like, course, yeah. <laughs> no, don't leave people with anything. Let's let's not give anything. You know, I think I think the thing that I love to leave people with is just the yes and, meaning like you can totally be okay and accepting of like your life exactly as it is. And then you'll also get these hints, right? The universe is like moving through you and it nudges you and, and it's going to push you, push you in a particular direction and lessons are going to come. And, and then whether we accept those invitations, right. You know, we can, we can grow. I, I just don't like people to think that like you, uh, that it, that there's any way that you aren't okay with how how you are like meaning that that actually you're perfect right like mm. you're perfect your life is perfect and even though you might think like all these things are wrong with your life like uh it's like whatever is happening is the is the perfect path for you uniquely you even if the circumstances may seem hard or terrible or painful or any of that like that there is a, like a universal perfection in it and so like no you don't have to make yourself feel like you are not good enough or uh that that you are broken and that you have to do something about it my experience is that when it's time for change and like it's time for transformation and growth that there's always an energetic invitation right things come and sometimes it's a whisper and sometimes it's a tap on the shoulder and sometimes it's a brick (laughs) through the window and sometimes it's a Mack truck. And it's always our choice when we want to accept that invitation and move forward. And I just find the kindness that I would like to leave people with is actually to like be kind to yourself, like have approval for the things that maybe are not ideal. Mm. Like if you're a judgy bitch like me, just enjoy it eat that chocolate cake and just have it. Don't feel guilty about it. Just like, you know, like when I'm judgy, I just like eat it. I just want to be judgy. Yeah. It feels so good. Right. Yeah. It's like, what if <laughs> right? you And then it? move on. And then I don't have to be judgy all the time. Right. And then I can be so accepting and all of that. Right. It's like, it's yes. And. And that's such a transformational idea. Like just that. It's like, I oh, just love this. Like, love what you are. It's perfect. Love what you are. Be kind to yourself about it. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much. So, yeah, that's Perry Chase, everybody. I, I hope you liked it. And you know what? No, I don't hope you liked it. I hope you got what you needed from it. I hope you didn't like it. I hope there were parts of it that you were disgusted or disappointed by. Because, to her point, that's where the invitation is, right? So good luck with the awareness practice and the self-love practice and the kindness practice. And as mentioned, I've included various links in the show notes for you to check out. You can get into Perry's world. You can check out some of her videos, her programs, her courses, and uh, just see what happens for you over there. If uh, what you heard today resonated, then I would encourage you to just maybe click one of those links below and, and explore that. Follow that little breadcrumb. Anyway, I adore you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for all your five-star reviews. Thanks for your support. If you're new here, go ahead and check out the previous episodes. There are more than 150 with thought leaders, relationship experts, coaches, 
authors, New York Times bestsellers. It's a lot of good stuff in there. Thanks for all your support. Thanks for sharing it with your mailman and your partner and your puppy and your family. I just uh, appreciate the support. Appreciate what you're doing. And uh, let's make the world a little bit fucking better, you know? <laughs>